sun goes down and the moon comes up I turn into a teenage Gugumak In 1974, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was released to terrified audiences all across North America. It told the allegedly true story of Sally Hardesty and her brother Franklin and their friends as they were picked off one by one by a cannibal family in rural Texas in 1973. This story was, of course, false. It was made up by Kim Hankel and Toby Hooper beforehand based upon like old ghost stories told around the, the campfires of Texas, some of which were based on Ed Gein, who was actually from Wisconsin. And, uh, and other notable serial killers. Then in 1986, or 87? 86. 86, yeah, thank you. Uh, after 12 years, the buzz was back with Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, bringing back the original uh, actor who played the cook. Um, and this time it introduced the character of uh, Dennis Hopper's lefty, who was the uh, uncle of Sally and Franklin from the first movie. Then in 1990 came Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, Leatherface, which is a really underrated sequel. I'm, uh, I've am i never seen Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, so I might it's be... It's quite uh, good. Might be, there might be, there's a bit of a narrative gap uh, here, quite possibly. There won't be. Okay. None of this, like, luckily 3 and 4 don't have any kind of connection, other than 3 riffs on the, um, the slogan from Part 2, The Saw's Family. And then in the 90s, the rights reverted back to the original author, Kim Henkel, and he decided it's time to do another one. It's time to go back to the original source of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That did not happen. Instead, we got Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation, a.k.a. The Return of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which was filmed in 1993, just after Richard Linklater's Slacker came out, and featuring two of the actors from Slacker... Sorry, not Slacker. Days, Days and Confused. Confused. Featuring two of the actors from Days and Confused, Matthew McConaughey and Ralph Zellweger. And it was all prepared for a 1994 release, when all of a sudden... Renee's not in Days and Confused. Yes, she, she is. Well, she was, but her part was cut out. Yeah. Oh. She's in the background of a shot. Fun fact. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think she did a scene, but it was yeah. on the cutting room floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. But anyways, it was delayed because Matthew McConaughey was cast in A Time to Kill, and Renee Zellinger was cast in Jerry Maguire, so their agents... And Empire Records, which yes. nobody saw at the time, but... Yeah, we're in Empire Records. And so their agency, CAA, clamped down and tried to keep the Texas Chainsaw Massacre the next generation under wraps. But you can't keep a good chainsaw killer down for long. So in 1997, 22 years ago to this day, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 4, a.k.a. Texas Chainsaw Massacre The Next Generation, a.k.a. The Return of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, was released. It's Death by Video! Death by Video! Here's a movie you never seen. The map is some ninjas or a crazy death machine. There'll be smiles, there'll be tears. You won't watch a movie for about eight billion years. It's time for death by video. Time for death by video. And now the show will begin. Hello, everybody. I'm Phil. I'm Lil. Kid is not here tonight, and I'm still Graham, saying welcome back to another episode of Merriment and Fun-Filled Frolicking as we continue our plunge into 1990s horror. Last episode was quite eventful with Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers. Um, This episode might be, this movie is weirder than Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers. 
there's still occultism Although it's not ancient runes, but mm. uh, but it does tie into the occult in this one. This movie, let's just no say curse that Curse of Leatherface, um, possibly. Let's okay. just let's just say that Kim Hankel got all into like the X Files, I guess, in the early '90s, ah. and uh, <laughs> and then when he wrote uh, the sequel, kind of like played into a little conspiracy theories. Um, as we're ra- like rife in the 1990s, so this uh, this film kind of is adequate to our 1990s theme for horror. Mm-hmm. So, guys, the Halloween season is fully in swing. Our last episode we recorded, was it September 30th? Yeah. It was like, or September Something 29th? Like yeah, it was like the day before... Shocktober. Shock, yeah, October began. And so, um, I've been watching a lot of horror movies, trying to uh, trying to do a horror movie a day. This disqualifies for today. So, guys, what have we watched since we last recorded that is interesting to us? I The only thing I've watched in its entirety since we last recorded was with you. Oh. Uh, I might have to... Uh, let you take this one. Uh, it was a Bollywood remake of Nightmare on Elm Street. Maka. I don't know if it's a. It's not a good movie, but it is. An I, interesting I would. One. I will fight you and say it is a good movie. I preferred it more than the original uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Those are. That's. That's a strong endorsement. Granted, I do think that the character uh, of Nancy, originally played by Heather Lannenkamp, was kind of like downplayed in this movie. She's kind of passive in the final act and lets her boyfriend just karate kick uh, Freddy Krueger in the face repeatedly. Yeah. Whereas the original Nancy in The American Nightmare on Elm Street was, which is how I'm going to refer to it from now on, The American Nightmare on Elm Street, mm. um, was... Not the original Not the original, no. <laughs> uh, was way more active, and she like actually took charge and figured out how to defeat Freddy. Um, yeah, Lillian, you got to see this movie. It's It's got scares. It's got yeah. dance sequences. Oh, it's I got bet. kung fu fighting. It's got a guy that like riffs on Michael Jackson. It was so good, and like he's kind of like a lecherous Greek chorus in that movie. Yeah, it's weird, but like lecherous just towards, not really towards women, but just towards like life in general. Yeah, it's weird. Um, but I just loved how like the second time he made his appearance, the audience broke into applause. It's like, oh, this guy's back. It wasn't just a one scene wonder where he came out dancing to Michael Jackson's. What was it, Bad or Thriller or something? I think it was Thriller. Yeah. Which they totally used without permission. Yo, yeah, absolutely. I love this movie. Um, yeah, Lillian, you, you got to see it. There's so much goodness in it. Um, the actual guy, Freddy, like, was not the Freddy Krueger or what was his name? Shakal, I think was his name. Was uh, not. He wasn't quippy. He didn't really. See, he only laughed. He didn't say any words. Well, it's been a long time since I've seen the original Nightmare mm-hmm. on Elm Street, but uh, Freddy was not a. He didn't crack the kill puns until like the third. He, he was he was getting punny, but he he was he, he, bit, he was kind of punny, but he, not to he, the point. He, yeah, he went full blown uh, kill like Arnold level kill mm-hmm. punster. Um, in the, yeah, in the, the third, third one. one yeah. yeah, yeah. In part two, he's still kind of scary. Mm-hmm. I'm still debating about possibly flying down to Los Angeles because on October 31st they're doing a triple feature for ten dollars um, at Twin Tarantino's movie theater of um, the Uninvited. That's the Killer Cat movie. Uh, Freddy's Dead, or sorry, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, and then Return of the Living Dead all in one day. Wow. And there are tickets available still, but I'm kind of like, yeah. you can't justify flying to Los Angeles just to watch three movies in a row and then turn <laughs> around and fly back. Yeah, at the Grand mm-hmm. Girard, there's going to be a, a 24-hour movie marathon. I know, I'm kind of, kind of interested, but also... I don't have I, time for it. I kind of, uh, I kind of also don't know how that's going to, like, what are they going to be showing? I know the guy yeah, programming sure. it as well, and his taste is... Crap all over the place. It's, yeah. yeah, not good. Um, well, it's like 13 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, because like most of those movies are like... I guess it would be, yeah, like around 12 or 13 with um, with uh, probably like stuff in between. Although Joe Bob Briggs just announced that he's doing a Halloween Hootenanny, 
um, on October 25th. So I'm might just be wind up stiff competition. I know, like uh, it's Justin whatever. Yeah, <laughs> Justin whatever. Yeah. Um, no, it'll be uh, Joe Bob Briggs is doing it, and uh, it's going to be live on Shutter. So I might uh, I might just stay home stay with some home popcorn too, yeah. and with some and some friends, and we'll watch. Uh, a marathon and like neither of you guys will watch the Joe Bob marathon yet they are fantastic no, you don't have to travel to the east end no exactly long long streetcar ride um Lillian what have you seen since you last we last recorded that you're inter- that you want to talk about uh nothing I really want to talk about just no? like a few shows and stuff on Netty nothing nothing major. nothing amazing no. no how about you Graham is that what the kids are calling it Netty 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 yeah, that's what I call it <laughs> I like it that's a good name for it Netty yeah, it's better than Netflix. You know what um, I call the TTC, right? The, the teats. teats. The teats, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the teats. I'm going to teats it over. Yeah, yeah. Netty and the teats. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what have I watched? I watched Mahak- Mah- like Mahakal kind of like took, take, took the cake. Um, yeah, I bet. I bet. I've seen some yeah. horror, uh, Bollywood horror. Yeah, Bollywood in general is awesome. Yeah. Like I love it because they just they just go full blast with it. Um, yeah. Let's see, what have I watched? Um, I'm gonna keep it like brief because I don't want to overwhelm everybody. Um, um, oh, I watched uh, Dracula and His Vampire Bride, aka The Satanic Rites of Dracula. So this is the final film in the Hammer Horror Dracula series. Um, if you don't count Dry, uh, the Seven Brothers versus, uh, sorry, the Legend of the Seven Golden Brothers versus Dracula, or the Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires, um, which was their fi- the Hammer's final final film, featuring uh, Peter Cushing going to Hong Kong. It was like a Hong Kong kung fu movie meets uh, Hammer horror. Um, so. Uh, Dracula Sweet crossover. It's it's actually pretty great. I watched it last Halloween, but um, so Dracula in uh, in the Satanic Rites of Dracula. It's it's a direct sequel to Dracula AD 1972, which is an awesome film. And basically, everyone kind of thinks like, oh, Dracula has been killed, and then the police are investigating this weird cult that is operating within London. And they kind of can't figure it out. And it's like, oh, well, I guess they're a blood cult. So they turn to um, Peter Cushing, or sorry, Peter Cushing, who plays Abraham Van Helsing's uh, grandson. Also, <laughs> yeah, of course. He played course. the original guy, and then he's now his grandson. And um, he's an expert on the occult and a professor. And he's like, it's very bizarre. Like, this, this cult worships blood. Like it, and it's the essence from all life, and he ties it back into actual. The interesting thing about this film is that it actually touches on touches on real Satanism, which is worshiping nature and the natural world. And he's like many, you know, early cults and pagan religions worship, you know, the n- nature, or they worship different elements of nature, like water or air or sun or what fire. But you know, there's always one to worship the blood, because that's where life came from. It was the life giver. But um, fifth element. The fifth element. Yeah. <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> But early on, they realize something's up, and then they realize maybe there's a vampire involved. Um, Where there's blood. Yeah. You know what they say. Where there's blood, there's a vampire. Exactly. And so they find out that the church where, where there's they... there's blood, there's vampire. That's <laughs> better. So it turns out that the church where they, where they like destroyed Dracula two years ago has been turned into an office building. And we get to see a bit of modern Dracula in the film. Like he's actually like been living under an assumed name, never leaving the building except at night. And he's basically been running this evil corporation. He's the CEO, he's the CEO of like Evil Inc. or something. Mm-hmm. And he's his he actually the members of his cult are all top scientists. Like they're all like Nobel Prize winners or like geniuses in their field. And it turns out he's working 
to re-engineer the bubonic plague and unleash it on humankind as revenge for him being constantly stopped from drinking some girl's blood, I guess. Um, it's a great film. It's fun. It's got a great soundtrack. It's kind of funky. It's set in 1974 London or 1975. Yeah, 1974 London. It's, yeah, a fun movie. Uh, Peter Cush, or sorry, Christopher Lee is, dra- is back as Dracula in his final appearance as Dracula for the Hammer films. And he also does a Bela Lugosi impersonation in it because the, the person that he's pretending to be speaks in a Hungarian accent and you're just like welcome Mr. Van Helsing and you're just like whoa I'm like and I'm like that and can't I be bet, Chris I really. bet Peter kept saying I feel like I've been here before a lot well, right? well no what happens is like he walks into the, the office and like um, Dracula is all in silhouette and he's like good evening Van Helsing welcome to my office and but he's got a light pointed right at him so like Van Helsing can't really see him and then at a certain point Van Helsing is just like pulls a, a crucifix out and he's like is this an issue? And like he reacts and like he goes back into the light and like, oh no, it's Dracula. Um, it was really good, really fun. Uh, really great, really great Halloween movie. Yeah. Um, so guys, uh, should we just get into Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Yeah, the next generation? yeah. Okay, cool. We'll be back in a moment with our thoughts on Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the next generation. We'll be right back. Each of us has known the fear of being alone, lost in the darkness, faced with the unknown. But there is one fear shrouded in our past, lost in our subconscious, that should never have been forgotten. A fear so deep, it cuts to the bone. American legend returns to bring you back to the cutting edge of terror. Welcome to my world. You can't touch me. If you're gonna kill me, then do it. Matthew McConaughey of A Time to Kill. Renee Zellweger of Jerry Maguire. Are you having fun here? (laughs) Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the next generation. If looks could kill, he wouldn't need a chainsaw. And that was the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the next generation. TCM TNG, as the kids say. Sure. Yeah. Or OMG, as I'm saying. Yeah, that, that movie. Too. It's yeah. It's 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 something, all right. Like I kind of feel like or it's WTF. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was interesting because so okay for those who hasn't seen the movie, it's an intense ride. It's like there are multiple scenes of Renee Zellweger being like dragged around by her hair, by her back, by her arms, by her neck. Matthew McConaughey is well, yeah, completely she... unhinged. <laughs> <laughs> completely. But yeah, Renee Zellweger seems to suffer the least amount of abuse in this movie, ironically I enough. know, out of everyone in it. Like, everybody is... Everyone is beaten around in this movie. Including, and especially, the Letterface clan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting, because in this family, the the family uh, that that uh, basically is the guardian of Leatherface, and I mean that in, like, the legal sense, is called the Slaughters, not the... In every other 
sequel was called The Sawyers. So, into oh, yeah, they're a violent bunch, aren't they? Oh yeah. So I'm like, it's but it's also like it's almost impossible to connect this film to the previous because like this is this is actually meant to be like there are, there are certain references to like in the opening because all the Texas Chainsaw Massacre films to kind of like give them a, a air of gravitas have a um, like a stern voiced or like a sober voiced narrator explain like here's what's going on and in this one they reference two minor possibly related incidents that happened uh, over five years ago which were Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 and 3 and they kind of like just gloss over them because the uh, because like the the original cook isn't it like there is a character who might be grandpa in this film who gets up from the dinner table at the end but in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 grandpa was just a stuffed corpse so like he was long dead at that point um yeah, there were a lot of homages to the original. Yeah, I was expecting him to be dead, but no. Oh, there's a, one of them's a sentient being, just yeah. heavily made up. Okay. And then you're not surprised either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Very strange. So, uh, let's talk a little bit about what I have here. So, um, so, something interesting is that this film was made when Austin was still a relatively small film community. Um, so, like, for instance, <coughs> there, were, there was a link later credited in the sound department and post-sound. Um, also, the editor of the film was Sandra Adair, who is Richard Linklater's editor, and like she works on everything from Boyhood to the um, after to the Midnight series. Um, and uh, interestingly enough, the producer Robert Kun was involved in a lot of the like he was involved in the original Chainsaw, involved in a lot of the the films in in Austin, Texas. Um, he's produced six movies. Four of them are actually Chainsaw films. So he produced uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre: The Next Generation. He also produced. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3D, which was from 2013. He produced Leatherface, which is also a, um, which was the most recent Texas Chainsaw Massacre film. Um, I think he produced, was I think it? I I saw that one. That's the one I brought up recently. Yeah, yeah. Is that the one where like it's a bunch of kids and one of them winds up being Leatherface yeah. or something? Yeah. yeah. And it's like, you don't know who it is until it happens. So yeah, no, he's been the guy that's been kind of like keeping the Chainsaw series going outside of the Michael Bay films. I think he was also a producer on one of the Michael Bay films that was the other uh, Texas Chainsaw credit. Was this like the, was this Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3? or No, 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 no. There's been three films called called Leatherface. Okay. No, sorry, two films called Leatherface. There was Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 in 1990 or 19, yeah, I think 1990. And then the most recent Leatherface was like 2017, I believe. I think it was a couple years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And the first one is the one you really like. Um, I really yeah. like I really like one, two, three, and this film as well. Kind of no, interestingly, the Leatherface. Oh, the Leatherface is yeah, the first yeah, one. Yeah, yeah Leatherface, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre three is a dynamite film because it's for like the first time someone's actually equipped to deal with the Sawyer clan. Also, uh, that film. So the films are are interesting because they kind of feature like three and four are interesting because they feature stars before they become stars. Vigo Mortensen is a member of the Leatherface family in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 before anything, before he was known at all. And uh, so that, like, I think that was actually his on-screen debut. Um, that was also, I think, the only Texas Chainsaw yeah, Massacre right film. Yeah, before the Indian Runner, I think. Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was actually the only Texas Chainsaw Massacre film not to be filmed in Texas. It was filmed in Northern, Ca- or in California. Oh, um, wow. So, yeah, what else can I say about this film? Um... So we'll get into a bit of the cast here. So obviously Matthew McConaughey, Renee Zellweger. This is right after Days and Confused. Matthew McConaughey has actually spoken fondly of this film because he was like, I think he was like just about to leave 
to go to move to LA, but then they're like, oh, there's this commercial here, or not commercial, but there's this film shooting, like, do you want to come in and audition? And he did, and so that actually prevented him from moving to Los Angeles. And then right after, he got cast in A Time to Kill. Um, well, also, like, at this point, the only credits he had under mm-hmm. his belt was, like, a segment of Unsolved Mysteries and... Uh, and Days and Confused in 93. Yeah. Um, and I guess this was... Mm-hmm. Would you call Next Generation a um, regional film? No. Okay. Because it, regard, here's the thing: Texas Chainsaw Massacre, as like all the Texas Chainsaw Massacre films, like the first one was very Austin based. The second one, I think, was shot in, like in Dallas or Houston. Okay. And the third one was also shot like elsewhere in Texas. But they were. This is the one where it's kind of back to being an independent production. Mm-hmm. So te- Chainsaw One was totally independent. Chainsaw Two was the Canon Group, the infamous can like Golden and Glo- uh, Globus, the um, the cousins. Um, Chainsaw Three was New Line Cinema. And so Chainsaw 3 was actually meant to be a transition from Freddy Krueger because the Freddy Krueger films, uh, the Nightmare films, had been steadily kind of declining after um, their peak of, I think the most popular one was Nightmare 4, The Dream Master. Um, And then Nightmare 5, The Dream Child, was kind of like a huge letdown for a lot of people. So they rushed, were like, we need another Freddy Krueger. What do we got? Well, we have access to... Leatherface, and we have access to those, which is why it was called Leatherface, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, because they wanted to push that character. But, you know, Leatherface is an inbred cannibal, not a quippy uh, dream monster, so. Yeah, he's almost like, he's almost the victim of his family, right? Like, he's always mm-hmm. crying in the corner, freaking out, right? Yeah, although it's interesting because in Chainsaw 3, that's when the family's actually the most supportive, like, they're teaching him to read. It's pretty funny. Oh, really? um, <laughs> nice. Because, yeah, like, like they, he has, like, a little learning device that he's learning how to spell. Um, and, uh, and like, there's, yeah, yeah, man, Chainsaw oh, 3 yeah, is so yeah. good. Um, we should have watched that movie. Uh, maybe not, no. This is this movie is way more 90s than Chainsaw 3 was. Chainsaw 3 also stars one of my favorite actors of all time, Ken Forey, from the original Dawn of the Dead. Nice. Um, let's see... So when asked about the film, Renee Zellweger said, It was dangerous. I don't know if any of it was legal. It was a great workout. Running from a guy with a live chainsaw is excellent motivation. So that's the thing. This one was was a totally independent production, which got picked up by Sony for distribution. And, like, they had one Winnebago for all the actors to be in. So, like, they were doing their makeup in the front seat because there was a mirror in the, in the, the sun visor. Is that the Winnebago, I'm, I'm jumping the gun a lot, that flips over? <laughs> Possibly, but I don't think so because, like, they probably shot the film out of order because it was so yeah. that. Um, so she also said it was a lot of fun. It was her first role. Um, she couldn't believe that somebody was going to trust her with, with to be the lead of the film because this was also her lead, a lead film. And she has no shame about it, which is kind of awesome. She also, Kim Henkel uh, also said that he really wanted this film to have, because um, the first Texas Chainsaw is identified as having the first evidence of the final girl in a horror movie. Which I would argue Black Christmas, which came out around the same time, had that with Olivia Hussey. They're both 74 movies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, and like Sally Hardesty, she was just the final girl because of, she was just the last person left alive. And so he wanted to create more of a feminist bent. And so like, and the character of Jenny played by Renee Selwinger when she starts the film, which in the director's cut, we see that she has a abusive stepfather who it's heavily implied intends to... Um, Assault her. Well, not even stepfather, but series, right? Back yeah, to back, yeah. Just it's explained like yeah, like it's a, a series of like of her mother's boyfriends who all want to 
get with her disgustingly um and so she's portrayed as being very meek the first thing she does the film starts with a close-up of her putting on red lipstick which when she hears her stepfather coming she quickly wipes off because she wants to desexualize herself and basically appear as plain as possible which is why she wears her glasses to the prom as well and oh yeah it's also prom night glasses hung off her nose exactly to kind of just emphasize them even more Mm -hmm. that you know even her glasses don't fit her face um, it's it's funny how she was typecast as being meek uh, even uh, as early as uh, this mm-hmm. movie. Yeah, so it's um, Empire Records being the exception. Of yeah, oh yeah, and so that's the thing. Like she um, in this film basically goes from being meek and mild to at the end standing up to Leatherface and Vilmer. Vilmer is the character played by Matthew McConaughey. All right, all right, all right. Who is doing his best Woody Harrelson impersonation in this film? <laughs> Um, yeah, he really thought it was Woody. For, well, like, yeah, like when he opens or... up, there's the way he's talking. It's like he's got the Woody Harrelson Texas yeah. draw. Yeah, it's like the, the mannerisms, everything. He like totally. It's like him. national natural born killers yeah. era. Yeah. Woody yeah. Harrelson. Yeah. Yeah, I also, uh, but that one moment because like the whole time you're just like, is Matthew McConaughey going to say, "All right, say all right, all right," yeah, and, he does. and then he does. Yeah, at the As start he enters the dining room. Yeah, during like every. Chainsaw movie movie has to have a dining room scene, and so at this point he come walks in going, "All right, all right, all right," and you're just like, "Yes, we got it!" And now we're gonna have to endure a lot of harsh images for a while. And I couldn't remember when that happened—if this was before or after Days. But you guys are saying this is after Days. Just after, yeah. Okay. Yeah, like I I don't think Days had come out yet, or if it had. It like well, it was a cult hit. It was a hit on home video. Because I could see him like taking his character onto onto days. Sure. Where it's slipping out. He technically yeah. also says living in this movie. You just gotta keep living, man. L I V I N. Yeah, he like screams yeah. it to the to the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of that, so Matt, because Matthew McConaughey and Renee Zellweger are both in this film, the film was supposed to come out in 1994. Um, and then they both like relatively quickly got cast in films. Like I said, A Time to Kill and Jerry Maguire. So they their same both actors had the same talent agency, and basically the, the talent agency threatened a lawsuit against Sony Pictures, claiming that their clients are being unfairly exploited because the film because like you know in most films you put characters in it on a poster. So Sony was like, oh crap, we've lucked into having Matthew McConaughey and Renee Zellweger, two of the biggest, hottest new stars in our film that's going to be released. We're going to put them on the poster. But the agent basically threatened them for uh, to sue them. The agency also said that if Sony released the film on the back of their names, that neither actor would appear in any future Sony releases. Plans for the release were also quickly scuttled. But the weird thing is, is that both, both actors... But they're actually the stars of the movie. They're the stars of the movie. And also both actors like the movie. Yeah, like, I was going to say, like... You, you, you mentioned after McConaughey and Renee that you ended it with, like, they both have very good things to say about the movie. It's like, yeah. are we missing something here? Like McConaughey says it's his favorite role. Like, the thing is, the, well, but that's also... Yeah, the, he's having a great time. That's also the interesting <laughs> thing here is that, like, he, the the dichotomy between agency, like, and but the town agencies and the clients are different because the talent agency is like, we have to protect them. We have to pretend they didn't do this dirty little movie called Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation. They have to, they're prestigious actors. They do, you know, John Grisham adaptations and Oscar-nominated movies. And Daisy Confused. And Daisy Confused. Exactly, which kind of like squeaked by because like, okay, it's an independent film and it's a cult hit, but you know, no one really knows it. Like no one really knows it um, in the mainstream at the time. But they really just went after 
this film sadly which, which delayed it and delayed it and delayed it um but so yeah and Renee Zellweger compared it to like kamikaze filmmaking um so the film was intended by Kim Henkel to be a real sequel to the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre so the characters of Vilmer which was Matthew McConaughey and W.E. Sawyer W.E. Slaughter who's played by Joe Stevens in the film they were intended to be the hitchhiker and the cook from the original film but not really um because like they would have been they would have been what was it they, they would have been too old to be in the film to have the been in the original were parallel to them They're, yeah they were analogs the, basically yeah. yeah yeah Vilmer and that's that's I also think why they changed the last name of the family from Sawyer to Slaughter was because to show like these are different characters because also W.E. Sawyer uh, was mentioned in the narration of Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 as being the only one arrested for the crimes and he was actually like died in a gas chamber in 1981 um so yeah it's a very weird because like and this movie definitely takes place in 1994 because they have the title card where it explains may 29th 1994 because it's prom night so that wouldn't be uh, like congruent with uh w.e sawyer being executed in 1981 um the other thing, too, is that the film is kind of seen as a cynical critique of where horror films were at the in the 80s or in this period of like late 80s, early 90s, because Leatherface in all the other sequels was a and like in this one as well is terrifying, but ineffectual. Like Leatherface doesn't do anything really like every character that Leatherface captures escapes. He's almost the the one you'd be OK to. You'd probably get away from him if you're if it was just him. There were stretches of the movie where I forgot completely forgot about Leatherface, to be honest. But but you know his you know his monster and and beast is there. Like he really that scene when he with with mm-hmm. Renee's friend Jenny's friend. Yeah. She really wriggles and like she's like oh when she's in which she, is, yeah she's really feisty. Yeah, she so puts, Je- up a so fight. puts up a great fight. Yeah. So the character of Jenny's friend is played by Heather. Or sorry, the character of Jenny's friend's name is Heather. And that actor and it's, and it's is Leatherface that she's mm-hmm. the most uh, oh, yeah. faced off with. Right? Exactly, yeah, and which is a callback to the original film when the the character I forget her name it wasn't Sally, but in the original film, uh, the character in that she like gets thrown into put on a meat hook and then thrown into an ice box, uh, but she dies like quite quickly. Whereas this this girl lives, um, and that character uh, was name was. Heather. She was played by Lisa Marie Newmeyer. Who looks a lot like Machen Amick. Yes, I noticed that too. Um, she was another local Texas actress, and she actually um, shot the the Austin, Texas film, films, A Scanner Darkly and Sid and City. She was in both of those okay. as well. Um, so yeah, so she, she was an interesting character because you kind of don't know where when she gets introduced at the prom. So they make it to the prom. Uh, Renee Zellwinger is going with her friend Sean, who it's allegedly that like, uh, she only hangs out with them because he smokes pot or and they're not really dating or that's because we're introduced to the characters of Heather and Barry who are a couple teenage couple even though they kind of look like solid late 20s and um, and Barry is cheating on Heather with some other random girl who he keeps on trying to like claim was like I was doing it because if I don't make out with another girl like I'll go crazy I'll get testicle cancer or something because I'm not because you're not because you won't put out you won't put out yeah. what like what I can't talk to anybody now yeah 
Yeah, yeah, I can't, I can't see my own friends. What's going on? My dad's a doctor. I know these things. He said, instead mm-hmm. of saying prostate cancer, he said prostrate cancer. Prostrate cancer, yeah. <laughs> to emphasize his uh, idiocy. Mm-hmm. He is a very dumb person. Um, and uh, so he, so those characters meet at the prom. Um, Heather takes off in Barry's car. Barry jumps in with her, and then uh, then Jenny and Sean are smoking weed in the back, and they get into two car accidents in one night. So the first time is Heather, great, like a car get hits um, hits Barry's car, and he's like, "Oh, my dad's gonna kill me!" And then they keep driving along, and they follow a detour into the woods where they crash into another car, kind of out of nowhere. I really have no idea where that car came. It kind of emerged out of the woods, smashed into him. The guy in the other car like has a severe head injury. Our heroes, or I don't really want to call them heroes, go off to find help in a, in a real estate office of all places. Lillian, you should be able to, to fill I us in. I didn't even know what that was. I thought it was just like a little cabin. She just had a phone there and she With dialed a desk somebody and, up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, those, I thought it was sort of like a parks and rec type uh, yeah, office. I didn't even realize mm-hmm. what kind of office it was. No, that's real estate. Okay. Um, and this, that's where we meet the character of Deborah, who is played by Tony uh, Perensky. Uh, plays the character of Darla. She's actually best known for being in another film shot in Austin, Texas, uh, where she played the role of Miss Davis in Varsity Blues. Oh. Yes. So for the boys who were, or sorry, for the men who were going through puberty at the time, she was the teacher who by night was a stripper. Uh Uh-huh. And although there is some nudity featuring her character in this film, uh, that was a double. Uh, Sorry to let you guys down. (laughs) Um, so the interesting thing is that when this film got reviewed by like Variety and all the um, the trade publications, her performance was singled out, um, and it was said uh, Variety's Joel Lydon called her the most stunningly sexy sociopath to hit the screen since Linda Florentino steamed up up the last seduction, which is pretty high praise because she plays a nut job in this movie. All the family members are nut jobs. Uh, w E is a little he's very well read because he keeps quoting authors and, and books authors and thinkers and uh, leaders exactly yeah he, he definitely is very well well read and worldly um, so then they get to her play to Darla's place of business and Darla says like let me just call Vilmer he'll get a tow truck over and help your friend and they're like okay cool and then they decide to head back Vilmer shows up uh, who is this is the introduction of Matthew McConaughey this is where we first learn that he has a robotic remote controlled leg. And I don't mean remote controlled like it's specifically controlled by a special remote. It, it's those like a TV are, remote. He has a bunch of TV remotes and VCR remotes and stuff that he keeps in his pockets that he needs batteries for. And he gets upset when they're not charged. <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> then he can't control his leg. Um, and so he quickly kills the guy in the other car. He runs down Sean in his... Um, in his pickup truck and then he rolls back over him like many times while listening to some early uh proto grunge on a cassette deck in his in his pickup truck um at this point on the way back heather and barry get separated from jenny and heather and barry find the infamous farmhouse from the texas chainsaw massacre now, early on, there it's pointed out that like right across the street from the the real estate office is a gas station, which Darla refers to as like, oh, you don't want to go over there for help. Like he'll probably shoot first and ask questions never. And she yells at him like, we see a old fart. And I believe that it's intended that that gas station is supposed to be the last chance gas station from the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, 
At this point, Heather and Barry both go to the house. Barry tries to go around back, and we see like this house is a is definitely the house from the original Texas Chainsaw because all the windows are boarded up because that is how Sally Hardesty escaped in uh, Chainsaw One, except for the top, the, the 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 windows on the in the very top attic section of the of the house. Um, and it's at this point that we Which meet. Which is where Jenny jumps out of. Yes. At one yeah. Point. Later on, so they should have kept on boarding up those windows, basically. I uh, think they got lazy. Yeah. Exactly. Um, uh, where were we? And this is where we meet Leatherface for the first time. Where this film's interpretation of Leatherface. So this, we should point out that this film's interpretation of Leatherface. I don't know if they were aggressively trying to be progressive or just trying to update it for the times. So Leatherface in this film is essentially a crossdresser, a crossdresser, but also crossdressing in skin. So I don't know if it's meant to be trans in a certain way or just yeah, crossdressing. Or because in the original Texas Chainsaw, he. Um, Leatherface. This is just like after Silence of the Lambs. That's true. In the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, he at one point wears a woman's face, which uh, during the dinner scene, which is what he ends the film in. So it's kind of indicated that he has a bit of a, a pansexuality that he can basically change with whatever whoever skin he's wearing. And so as the film goes on, he starts off kind of in a mullet look, and then he kind of has a grandma look, and then eventually he he emerges into like a glam like. Danielle Steele character look, kinda, yeah. yeah, like just lounging in like a in a house coat, um, with red lipstick on and a, and a big old wig. Yeah, like if Ed Gein were in socialite, socialite drag. Yeah, kind of like that. Um, so Heather meets Leather first because he sneaks up behind her and tries to smell like her hair. Like Norman Bates's mom on like a frisky mm-hmm. night, like yeah, she's yeah, when she's feeling, up. when she's feeling like she's got to entertain the boys. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think we've cited, like, half the Ed Gein-inspired uh, movies. Uh, oh, yeah, because it was Psycho. Psycho, Silence of the Lambs, mm-hmm. and uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And there's also Deranged. Of course, yeah. Yeah, the Canadian Ed Gein film, which was... Mm-hmm. I, I had on some double feature with uh, Motel Hell, which was a rough watch. Oh, um, I can only imagine. And uh, what else was I going to say? Where were we? Oh, yeah. So at this point, Barry meets W.E., and W.E. holds Barry at gunpoint, and Barry keeps... Barry's thing is that... And this is... All guys named Barry do this. They all think they're smarter than... I always... I'm shaking my head, just waiting to hear what you're going to say. Barry is my favorite punching bag name, because you always just figure when something goes wrong, you're just like, God damn it, Barry. What did you do? Todd's another good one. Todd's another one. Yeah. Sorry, Todd Huskison, who listens to this podcast occasionally. Sorry, Todd. Except you. Except yeah, except you. Although he pointed, so to, my friend Todd pointed out a very important fact, which is Todd, as a name, is was only briefly in use. And he goes, it's like 1970 to 1975, basically, was the period of Todd's being born. Like, anytime you meet another, a Todd, ask him, when were you born? And it was in that period. They knew they had to cut it, like, yeah. right there. Yeah, they were like, oh, this Todd problem, we gotta, like, end it now. That's how I feel about my name a little bit. Lillian? Too. Like, it had a little... I think it's coming window. back now because people really like the name Lily, yeah. you know. So I think, I think it's coming back. Yeah, maybe. But it's yeah. always like this little old lady name, you know. Lillian. Um, no, <laughs> you're definitely not a little old lady. Um, where are we now? Oh yeah. So Barry meets W E. Yeah, uh, and at this point, Barry thinks he's being smart by going into the, the locking himself in the farmhouse, 
And he's kind of like not really concerned. So this is after Leatherface brutally drags Heather into the back and like puts her in a freezer and like has to barricade her in a freezer because she keeps popping up and he's freaking her, it out. It takes him like a good 10 minutes to lock her yeah. in that ice box. And like, here's the thing, like this film was definitely made not to be ha ha funny. Like the horror in this is is more terror like it gets intense. Yeah, I love how he's freaking out after he gets mm-hmm. her, you know, barricaded in that ice box, and he's like freaking out, like Jesus, what are you doing to me? Yeah, you screaming know? all, like, all wigged like out. Like you did this to me, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, and it, and it's said that like the version of Leatherface in this film is definitely, like I said earlier, meant to be a cynical critique on where how horror had kind of like gotten weaker in the late eighties and early nineties, and how it had like kind of like lost its teeth because in this film, Leatherface kills no one. Um. Oh, except maybe Barry. Did he hit Barry with the hammer? Yeah, he hit Barry with the hammer. But then again, Barry doesn't count because he's a Barry. Yeah. Um. But Barry go is in the house. Doesn't really get freaked out of the fact that there's animal bones and like like kind of all kinds of weird, awful clutter. Finds a bathroom, and like is nonplussed by the fact that the bathroom is covered in like paper on the walls and it's disgusting. And has like. Ed Gein bath towels. Yeah, basically has like human skin for a bath towel. Yeah. And so he like, you know, takes a leak in the toilet. Does not flush, I want to point out. That's that's definitely a Barry move, taking a leak in that flushing. I even thought the... I'm probably wrong because he wouldn't waste yeah. flesh on the walls. But I mm-hmm. even thought the walls were like covered in flesh. Yeah, but, they were covered in something because it was yeah, definitely... Yeah, that looked like flesh wallpaper, like right? Ed Gein yeah. wallpaper. Yeah. Yeah, jeez. Yeah, wasn't and, just the towels. Mm-hmm. And he keeps on talking to Heather like... Hey Heather, I outsmarted this moron out there. Blah blah blah. Like, take thinking he's got all the time in the world. Then he turns around and sees a corpse dissolving in the bathtub behind him. Freaks out, runs in the leather face, gets smashed with the hammer. Right. And then at this point, Heather gets put on the meat hook. And unlike the original Texas Chainsaw, which cuts away. I mean, well, this one kind of cuts away as well. But because you never see the meat hook actually going into the flesh. You think you do. And I thought I did too in this film until I saw it this time again. And I was like, oh, we don't actually see it. No. Our mind fills it in for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The power of cinema. Um, so it's at this point that we, that Renee Zellweger and Matthew McConaughey meet for the first time. Matthew McConaughey is driving by, um, picks her up, says like, oh, you shouldn't be hitchhiking. Like I heard about this guy this old man who picked up a girl cut off her arms and like left her to die on the side of the road and he's like "Ah, i cannot stand for that and she's like nope and he's like what a moron you could have done so much more to her and you're like oh no this is bad (laughs) um and this is also the first sign that like and it's interesting how i want to point out how renee knows or sorry renee's character jenny knows how to deal with someone like vilmer who's definitely abuser like she negotiates the situation like how can i make this okay for you so she can slip away like how can i like what do i she repeatedly when darla when it's revealed that darla is actually vilmer's girlfriend um she keeps asking her like how can i get through this like is there something i can do is there something you can tell me like she's negotiating the situation that she's in yeah because like in even in most of the the extreme situations she's very like even keeled like Mm -hmm. whereas you would generally expect like screaming and crying from like any given Mm -hmm. protagonist or you know like supporting victim in a slasher movie whereas you know like she's always thinking one step ahead exactly because she's had to like encounter this with her stepfathers Mm -hmm. and and mother's boyfriends just how do I survive this horrible situation yeah it's like fear is almost like 
her second skin, you know? She's always, Yeah, she's uh, lived in a house in fear for so long. This is just a different, more yeah. insane version of it. But I guess since we watched the director's cut, you wouldn't be able to identify it until this very moment mm-hmm. because you don't have that exposition of the abusive Exactly. Dad. We should point out the director's cut. It's interesting how, like, it seems... So you can definitely tell what was edited out from the director's cut because the there's a dip in, in visual quality. I don't know if it's a high v- VHS scanner, just a lower quality from like a work print or something was used because the, the sound mix was pretty solid. Yeah, for sure. And I actually recall when I saw this one for the first time in the 1990s, probably in like 1999 on VHS, which I rented from the Sobeys in the uh, Sydney River Shopping Center in uh, Sydney, Nova Scotia. Um, it uh, right on the shelf next to Jack Frost, not the Michael Keaton movie, the other one. The um, blockbuster video staple, Jack yeah, Frost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I rented it from it, like I, the, all those scenes were in there. So I actually think the director's cut was was what was released on home video, mm-hmm. and probably there had never been a theatrical cut to match it. So they probably pulled from like a work print or maybe even a VHS copy. But those scenes, like they, they I've seen stuff ripped from a VHS copy before. They looked better in certain situations, um, but in the original version, I saw. Um, the director's cut that I saw on VHS in 1999, those scenes were all in there. Like, okay. I, it was always known that, like, her father, like, to me at least, that her father, her uh, stepfather was abusive and intending to to uh, assault her in the future. Um, so she definitely, and I, and I also, you know, point out, like, Kim Henkel was mostly a university professor throughout his career. Like, he was occasionally a screenwriter, but mostly a, a university professor. And I think he probably... Uh, probably in passing just learn from this from this uh, psychology department like how people of abuse deal with their situations I think I think he did his real research into it for this film um, who else do we have here I already pointed out that Joey that Joe Stevens plays W.E. Sawyer Slaughter um, so this film also feels very 90s in terms of look and I looked at the credits of the, look the cinematographer. Look, fashion, and soundtrack. The cinematographer was Levy Isaacs, who shot, a, like, after this, went on to shoot several episodes of Tales from the Crypt in 1994. Which makes, right. <laughs> makes sense, because, like, th- this film is, like, kind of colorful and kind of weird and kind of twisted, and, and that was Tales from the Crypt. He also shot Saturday the 14th Strikes Back, the sequel. Leprechaun. And he did 22 episodes of another 90s icon TV series, Dawson's Creek. Oh, snap. Mm. I thought you were going to say, like, Freddy's Nightmares or something like <laughs> no, that. No, 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 no. So, so, yeah, so there's lots of that. And so, like, yeah, so he definitely was, like, a cinematographer of the 90s. Like, his modern credits are a lot of stuff he'd never heard of before, like, TV movies and stuff. So he shot, essentially, mm-hmm. whoa, an entire season of Dawson's Creek. Basically. Pretty much, yeah, 22 episodes, that would be it. But probably, mm-hmm. like, spaced out over, like, four or five years. Oh, go oh, really? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so the film is recursive in that it opens with an air title referring to two minor yet apparently related incidents. Um, which is a joking acknowledgement of the previous two sequels. So Justin Yandel of, the, of BloodyDisgusting.com, he interprets the film as a cynical reimagining of the original film with Henkel parodying his own work. He cites Leatherface's ineffectiveness at dispatching his victims as well as the archetypal teenage characters as evidence of the film being a commentary on the declining state of horror films in the late 1980s and early 1990s. Oh, I already talked about this. Um, Leatherface, who was once an efficient, methodical, and nearly silent killer, now struggles to competently capture or kill his victims, all the while screaming like a petulant child. The family 
No longer backward backwater cannibals dine on pizza instead of fresh meat of their victims. The dinner sequence, originally one of the most effective and horrifying scenes ever committed to film, goes so far off the rails, it climaxes with Jenny turning the tables on her captors and scolding Leatherface into sitting down and shutting up. The ineffectiveness of it all of, of it all of this is intentional. And we know this because a man in a limo pulls up and openly acknowledges it. So we should also point out that this film, like I said in the intro, was definitely drawing on conspiracy theories of 90s at the time. Like, there are, are allusions to the Illuminati, even pre-Will Smith Men in Black. Um, where were we story-wise? Okay, so Barry is dead. So on uh, Will, on McConaughey's track, Illuminati. Yeah, That's I right. did. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, I was just going to bring that up. Good. So it wasn't just subtext, it was literal text. It was literal text, yeah. Yeah. Well, they always sprinkle it in somehow, right? Mm-hmm. The Illuminati's yeah, yeah, yeah. And this movie does have men in black at mm-hmm. the end. I'm sorry, I'm also jumping the gun. <laughs> That's fine, I think this episode is all over the place. So we are then, where are we? So Barry is dead, Heather's on a meat hook. At this point, this is when, for the first time, um, so Vilmer brings, wait, no, no. Jenny jumps out of Vilmer's truck and actually yes. runs. She encounters Leatherface briefly, runs back to the real estate office, and in, an, in a callback to the first film, when Sally Hardesty runs to the Last Chance gas station and runs into Drayton Sawyer, that's the, the character known as the cook in the original film, He uh, there's basically a similar thing where she goes, he brings her inside and says, it's okay, it's okay, and then she, he goes outside to check. In this case, Darla goes outside to check and says, like, there's no one out there, leaves the door open, it's fine. And then, in this case, um, Darla calls W.E. Slaughter to come. And he arrives with a, when she says, like, oh, you should have brought a, yeah. a cattle prod and a garbage bag. Because she was like, well, you should have brought a burlap sack. And so he, in a very horror, horror, terrorizing and horrible scene, he repeatedly shocks Jenny with the cattle prod until he can, like, force her into... A garbage bag. He initially is like whacking her with it, and yeah. then eventually starts using it. Yeah, and then uh, they sit her down in the kitchen, and this is when, actually, no, on the way, there's a whole bunch of weirdness where Darla puts her in the trunk and then goes through a drive-in, yeah, drive-through. Yeah, the, the pizza drive-through. She goes through a pizza drive-through, which I didn't know was a thing, but apparently is. She goes through a pizza drive-through to pick up an order that she called in, which again, I don't know how that works in a, in a again, drive-through. Again, yeah. And uh, to go back to, to like the connections. Yeah. A funny detail is that one of the pizzas she orders is a vegetarian. vegetarian. I think that's definitely just supposed to be Kim Hankel telling the audience that this film, this is not, these are not the same cannibals you knew before. They're not doing this for cannibalism. It's probably one of the first hints at it because the whole movie, it kind of goes along the same beats of like a, of another chainsaw film. But then towards the end shifts and it's like, what are you doing this for? Cause she's like, why don't you just kill me? And he's like, oh, I've got plans for you. And then it's not like maybe Leatherface wants her face. Turns out, no, they're doing it for some secret group that may or may not be the Illuminati, that may or may not be involved with some kind of like extraterrestrial interference to somehow show people the true meaning of fear, which is also kind and through fear through suffering or something, which is kind of the plot of Martyrs, but not but not only the suffering part. Um, yeah. No, I thought I thought Leatherface wanted her face, and that was that. That could be it too. 
Um, and that's just, I mean, this, uh, this, these guys in the limo stuff mm-hmm. is them keeping it all quiet all this time. Right? Ooh, interesting. Well, they have been, right? But yeah, but but he even says like it's about like it's about showing people the true meaning of fear. How has not been caught? Caught yet? Because it's it's yeah, these Illuminati keeping them. And like even at the end, like he says, like, do you want us to take you to a, to a hospital? Or a police station, yeah. Because he doesn't give a shit because he's with the Illuminati. Um, so when he's back in the film, Darla gets the pizza, and like the pizza guy is like, "There's somebody. Uh, I, I hear some sounds coming from your trunk." She's like, "Oh, I got someone, like tied up back there." Ha 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 ha. And she goes around. She basically gives uh, Jenny uh, a soda, and the whole time the cops are watching this as well. And the cop and basically the cops are like, "Well, someone's got to go check it out." So they one cop goes up flirts with her and that's it and then she drives jenny back to the the farmhouse where uh it's where she jenny kind of like realizes that like oh god it's vilmer and he's back and this is when we see the dysfunctional craziness that is the slaughter household yeah this is like a dysfunctional this is when the movie becomes a dysfunctional family drama for about 20 minutes yeah, there's a lot of physical abuse between all of them. Like, Vilmer is definitely, that's Matthew McConaughey's character, is definitely the alpha of the family, repeatedly slapping Leatherface, even though Darla tells him, don't shoot, don't anyone, t-. no, sorry, it's Vilmer that wants to, sorry, W.E. wants to, like, use the cattle prod on Leatherface, and she is like, do not hurt him. Um, and I can't really tell, like, because initially, um, she complains, Darla complains to Vilmer, like, look what W.E. is doing to your brother. And, or no, no, W.E. says that about him, and I couldn't figure out if Darla was supposed to be Leatherface's sister or Vilmer, but it's definitely Vilmer is supposed to be Leatherface's brother. They're supposed to be the same family along with W.E., and Darla is some girl. Yeah, she just got, she got drawn to Wilbur. Yeah, and like there's even, like she even says like, I will leave you and go back to my, my husband, which is like, oh, so she like left her husband for Vilmer. And at a certain point, but you're never too sure, like, the storyline gets muddled because she tells Darla that like she's got like something in her head that if she runs away, Vilmer will push a button and it'll explode. I wonder if her husband's that guy in the in the end in the suit. I, I don't. Wonder, I, don't think I wondered so. that for a minute, but because he's like, uh, how could a woman like you be in, with a guy like uh, yeah, yeah, not even a woman like you, but mm-hmm. he's like, how can you be with him or whatever? Yeah, yeah. But and she, she's like, you know why? Yeah. Which I think could be, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's that's the thing. It's unreliable know. narrators or not yeah. unreliable speakers here. Well, and they're, matter. and the whole time Darla's trying to be nice to Jenny, be like, just go along with it. Just don't, you know, don't up, make Vilmer mad. And the entire time, Vilmer is constantly doing stuff that would like makes that would make someone make a lot of noise. Sure. Mm-hmm. We need to rewind about five minutes because on the way back to the Leatherface house. We find out that Heather somehow got off the oh, meat hook. Oh, right. Yeah, she somehow got off the meat hook, and it's in the middle of the road. So she actually made it a pretty decent distance. So, yeah, Darla gets out of the mm-hmm. car um, and is, like, whacking Heather with a stick. And then decides to stop doing it. And then she goes and tells. That's the thing, because she tells W.E. and Leatherface, like, go get the girl that you let escape. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing. Like, the original Leatherface in the first movie or second movie or third movie would not accidentally let someone escape yeah so uh heather is also privy to uh the leatherface clans drama yeah yeah she saw it up close and personal so at this point she's also lost a lot of blood so she's not she's barely conscious throughout the film um and then a whole bunch of nastiness happens and let's just go to the point where um yeah like even darla even sorry not darla um 
Jenny actually holds a gun and like holds the the slaughters like host like hostage for a second while she's trying to get her and Heather out and she's like wake up Heather let's get out of here and Vilmer is indicating that like he left the gun there because he knew she would take it so he left it unloaded and but she's also Heather's also mm-hmm. kind of been knocked unconscious and oh yeah Heather's, he, Heather's out yeah she she's out and like mm-hmm. McConaughey's like bitten off part of her face and yeah it's, it happens we, off screen so you don't really mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to tell yeah. yeah it's hard to tell what happens um and that's the thing too like this film has a lot of like moments of just like oh my god I can't believe they're showing this like when at the end McConaughey, McConaughey also his character is kind of a a self-harmer as well like he like uses a razor blade to slice himself up mm-hmm. um which they show in great glee but they also keep certain things off camera like when McConaughey bites part of Heather's face off and also eventually when McConaughey at the end of the film kills Heather by like stomping on her head we don't see it we only see his reaction we hear it yes we hear it for sure and we see every vein in his face his neck, neck just go like bulge yeah first mm-hmm. yeah there, he definitely like ended it with orgasmic glee um sadly um so yeah i know there's, there's a bunch of stuff we're, we're missing here but all these scenes kind of like flow in together and then eventually we're at the dinner table where there's like a dead family like a father a mother and a kid sitting at the table and an old man who we assume is also dead, but he actually might be Grandpa from the first film. Although the, the actor that plays Grandpa... Or grand- a Grandpa-esque. Yeah, character. So they're sitting there. Uh, they're trying to do the whole thing, but it's it's a dinner with, with pizza, so it's strange and different. And Some very rubbery-looking pizza. Yeah, it's been sitting out there for a yeah, while. They like reheated pizza, yeah. Yeah, they reheated it in like a, in like a, a, a toaster oven, so it doesn't really look that good. Um... And then this is when uh, she starts berating Leatherface. Like she tells him, "Like sit down, shut up." There's all these like crazy moments here where you think she's just about to escape and then doesn't, just about to escape and then doesn't. And then this is when the Man in Black shows up, and he shows up and he basically like berates Vilmer, and Vilmer is kind of like intimidated by him. You can see, and he says, "Like do you you understand what we're doing here, right? Tell me you know what we're doing here. Like what is this?" And then. Jenny thinks that the man in black is actually like someone who is sane and is there to help her. <coughs> Sorry for my sneeze. Think again, Jenny. Think again. Because he unbuttons his shirt to show a lot of like weird. I don't even. Rings. Uh, like piercings and also just like grooves in his stomach. Think sort of like uh, Vincent D'Onofrio's character in The Cell, I guess. Yeah, like, like, like some, some, some body mods. And then he starts yeah. licking her face. And then he stops and he says, see? Oh, he, he licks all of her face. Yeah. And he's like, see? And then this is now, at this point, uh, Vilmer has like hit W.E. in the head with a hammer for some reason. So he's kind of out of the picture. Uh, Vilmer like uh, said that like, you know, his brother Leatherface wants a new face. And that face is yours. Um, Darla and him kind of get into a bit of a scrap. And Jenny uses it at this chance. Mo- he also like lights... Heather's back on fire. Yeah. Which leads to her death when, like, she runs into a wall and collapses. Yeah, well, Darla uses a fire extinguisher. Put her out. Because, like, Matthew McConaughey throws mm-hmm. lighter fluid on her back and then... Uh, Lights her on fire and screams, burn! Renee uh, Zellger's trying to persuade him not to, of course. Yeah. But just falls on deaf ears. And then Renee Zellger grabs a remote control for Matthew McConaughey's leg and just starts pushing buttons and he can't 
he can't he keeps on going through different remotes trying to like get it to work and this he just can't do hilarious. it yeah it's like in this intense horrifying terrorizing scene this great tension break he just all of a sudden she's like you know hitting rewind and, and pause on a remote and and he can't control his leg and this allows her to get away and run out the front door i mean while he's just fishing for like remotes yeah <laughs> Yeah. So at this point, like he tells, you know, Leatherface, like, get the chainsaw. And so Leatherface pursues Renee Selwinger on foot. By the way, a total, uh, how do we put this? How did I put it? Pearl Jam knockoff band is playing on the soundtrack. And Matthew, probably an uh, Austin, Texas band. Yeah. And Matthew McConaughey is still searching for the right remote control to control his leg. Leatherface is chasing her. A by the way, uh, but but mm-hmm. like like most scenes, right, where Jenny's trying to get away and stuff, or anyone is, they're really intense. Like, yeah, it's really it's like, such an intense intense film. Because like he's grabbing her, and you know he's got her leg, and then she's you know with the remote control this way that way, and then he's almost he I think he even whips out a knife too. He's almost about Does to he? slash her leg and everything. Oh yeah, it was really yeah, terrifying. yeah, yeah. He couldn't. And funny at Whoa. the same time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it was weird, terrifying, lake, funny. Yeah, this movie's kind of a mess, but in but a glorious he, way. Does, yeah, doesn't he resort to more self mutilation? He does himself after 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 the man in black leaves. He gets into a lot of self mutilation, and that's what allows Jenny to have the moment to grab the remote because Darla tries right, to stop right. him, and, and he throws Darla into a chair. Um, and so then Leatherface is pursuing Jenny outside through all these farmers' fields, and I don't know why so many people are driving on these back roads that go nowhere. But like yeah, there's like a like an elderly couple, middle aged couple on a vacation in a in a Winnebago, and you know they're having like driving bloody marys like the size bloody of dumbbells. Bloody marys like first thing in the morning, and there's also a plane like spraying crops as well, like putting like uh fertile like not fertilizer but um right. some pesticides, ca- pesticides on yes. on crop crops for some reason, and uh, and basically Leatherface chases her. She gets into the um, she gets into the the Winnebago and like the the woman's like, "There's a monster chasing after her with a chainsaw." Don't stop! Don't stop! Don't and stop! Then, and then then she stops and then she's honey, like, "Go!" There's a monster running yeah. after you. Yeah, and then so Renee Zellweger jumps in. The, who plays Jenny? Jumps into the the Winnebago, and she and the wife is like, "Hit it, Mister Stevenson," because they refer to each other as Mister and Mrs. Um, and so he does, but then Vilmer shows up in the truck with a leather face swinging a chainsaw. They first force the RV off the road. It crashes. At this point, Leatherface and uh, Vilmer get out of the out of the truck and start running after Jenny, who has survived the RV crash. She's climbed out and is running. And this is when the plane comes down and Vilmer gets a propeller to the head, which knocks him out and causes Leatherface to take a moment to grieve for their brother. And at this point... Um, there's a we hear a beep beep from off screen. Jenny turns around and sees, hey, there's a limousine. She gets into it. It's the man in black from the house earlier. And he kind of tells her some stuff about like this is all about trying to teach show people the true meaning of fear or some nonsense. And then a whole bunch of jibber jabber about how he's sorry about how things went. It's not supposed to be like this. And then I'm gonna drop you off at a hospital or a, or a police station. And she does. Now the interesting thing, the very interesting thing here, we cut to Jenny in a hospital being interviewed by a police officer who's saying we're going to get to the bottom of this don't worry stuff like this has happened before we're going to solve it this time that police officer is actually played by john duggan who portrayed the grandfather in the original texas chainsaw massacre back in 1974 get the hell out of here i was going to say grandpa but then i thought you guys are going to go lil you are nuts no 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 you are correct holy 
Then there is an orderly who is pushing a woman on a on a rolling bed. The orderly is played by Paul A. Partain, who played Franklin Hardesty, the the man in the wheelchair in the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, oh, that Leatherface chainsaws to death. And the woman on the gurney that he is pushing is Marilyn Burns, who played Sally Hardesty, the original final girl in the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Wow. And that's the end of the film. Um, although she is credited as anonymous in the in the film. Uh, for reasons that I do not know, I think it was just sort of like to keep it hush, 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 hush. Or maybe just to sort of humor fans. Just sort of worry. Yeah, kind of like, hey, is that what I think? Is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So... Um, a little bit more facts. So Matthew McConaughey had just graduated college and planned on moving to California when he auditioned for this film. He read for the part of a young motorcyclist who rescues Jenny at the end of the film and rides off with her into the sunset, which got totally changed altogether. Before he left, though, director Kim Heinkel asked if he knew of anyone who might be right for the role of the villain Vilmer. McConaughey suggested two friends from acting class and left. He was about to get back into his truck and drive to California when he stopped and realized, what was I thinking? He immediately turned around and asked Henkel, hey, can I audition for Velmer? Henkel gave him a spoon from the kitchen and told to pretend it's a knife and tasked him with scarring his, scaring his secretary. Then in the middle of the audition, he told him to pretend his mechanical leg was malfunctioning. McConaughey was so convincing that he won the role of Velmer on the spot. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right. Um, the film also has been noted for its inflammation of a secret society subplot, driving Leatherface's family to terrorize civilians in order to provoke them to a level of transcendence. In a retrospective interview, Kim Hankel confirmed that he based that the basis of the subplot was influenced by theories surrounding the Illuminati. Commenting on the film's ominous Rothman character, that's the man in black, Hankel stated he comes off more like the leader of some harem scarum cult that makes a practice of bringing victims to experience horror on the pretext that it produces some sort of transcendent experience. Of course, it does produce a transcendent experience. Death is like that, but no good comes of it. You are tortured and tormented, and you get the crap scared out of, out of you, and then you die. Um, so yeah, lots of, lots of weird, like, stuff in this, not weird stuff, but just interesting stuff in this film, the cross-dressing, the Illuminati. So was the Illuminati thing always a thing with it, or this is just this is the only now? this is the only I mean, in this film, in in Texas Chainsaw Massacre: Next Generation is the only film in the entire Texas Chainsaw Massacre series where there is thought that there is a a shadowy group controlling the Sawyer or Slaughter family. So yeah, it just kind of came out of nowhere. Kim Hank, like I said, I think Kim Hankel just give, was watching a lot of X Files at the time. To give was the like, madness some sort of reason. Some sort of reason, yeah. But I still think the most terrifying thing is no reason. Are just a family of whack jobs that live in rural Texas, as was in the first film. Yeah. Before they became uh, award-winning chili chefs in the second one. Love that movie. Um, so, guys, it has come to that time of our episode. Lillian, what is your final thought on Texas Chainsaw Massacre: The Next Generation? Um. Yeah, that was. I mean, I don't really know what else we could say. That was. Yeah. I mean, you're terrified. You're kind of laughing at some points, mm-hmm. and. Yeah, you feel sorry for Leatherface, right? Yeah, you kind of do in this film. That's it. Phil, what are your final thoughts on Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation? Yeah, so this is fun. Yeah, as you were saying earlier, it is totally all over the place. Yeah. But that's okay. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> it is fun. Um, 
Yeah, like, I really appreciate how much Matthew McConaughey and really the cast in general just lean into their roles. They just went for it. Yeah, I appreciate over the top it is, and we didn't really address this, but Kim Henkel, he, um... It also sort of—it's also sort of like a return to the style of the first movie in the sense that there's almost there's very little gore in this movie. Yeah, very little on-screen gore. So it's sort of a return to that sort mm-hmm. of style. After part horror. two, part three, I'm trying to think if it has much on-screen gore. I mean, part three was unrated, so yeah, it, it goes for like the more terror angle rather than you know like the slice them up, mm-hmm. which was what two did. I mean, two was bonkers. Two was its own ways. thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, hey, as bonkers as Next Generation is, it it's kind of impossible to reach the heights of the second one in that respect, because yeah, yeah, yeah. there's just no roof on that movie. Um, mm-hmm. I really could have done without the Illuminati subplot. It seems very yeah. of its time. Oh, It's amusing-ish, mm-hmm. but it's not developed enough for it to mm-hmm. be... Um, for me to really appreciate it, even as utter lunacy. If you didn't point it out to me, I, it probably would have gone way over my head, you know? <laughs> yeah, I don't think I got it either when I saw it yeah, the first it, time. It's borderline incoherent as well, the, the whole Illuminati angle I found. Yeah. Because I guess it's also with this time period of horror movies where... Um, well, where do we take the series? We move it to space. Uh, we go to we ex- space. Yeah. It's, or the, it's, it's, it's the curse of the Leatherface clan. Yeah. Or, yeah, or, yeah. Mm-hmm. or it's an Illuminati conspiracy. <laughs> there you go. Mm-hmm. It's like one of three. It's like pick one of three. Well, it's the like, thing is, with with the films in this series, I did want to pick films that, that were not so much, because, I mean, there, there was a bunch of other 90s horror films, like From Dust Till Dawn, uh, Demon Knight, a few others that are like standalones, but I wanted films that somehow were connected to the films from the past and how like they were trying to adapt to the nineties. Oh sure. So that's why like with Halloween six, the curse of Michael Myers, there's all this weird cult stuff in there. Cause like mm-hmm. it just couldn't be a guy in a mask because mm-hmm. we were living in paranoid times back then. Y2K, the internet. Oh my God. Um, Howard Stern on the radio. And, uh, with this film, it's this a lots of the same thing where it's like, well, we, they just can't be a gang of cannibals out in the woods. That makes no sense. But that's the point. That's how it's scary. Whereas, so like, we have to give them a reason to be doing this. Um, and then that's gonna and like also with uh, our next one, we're gonna watch Freddy's Dead: The Final Nightmare. That's like, how do we like Freddy Krueger was such an '80s MTV icon, but now you know it's an and it's like granted it's from early in the '90s. It's like '91 or '92. It's '91, yeah. Yeah, it's very early, but it's definitely like. We've already, within the six years since the first one came out, we've burned through this so hard that now Freddy is everywhere. He had a TV show. He had a serial. Kids are dressing up for him as Halloween. How do we end this? Yeah. And so it's definitely like trying to like take something that was like so. And also, the first one came out in 1984, which is you know that perfect middle part of the 80s, 84 to 86, before like hair metal really got. Ugh. And before, like, New Wave totally died and when things were, you know, in that world. Um, And then the final film we're watching is, of course, Scream, which is you take someone like Wes Craven who kind of defined horror twice already uh, with uh, 1972's Last House on the Left and then Nightmare on Elm Street in 1984. Now with Scream, he defines it for the 90s where it's, like, kind of pointing to, like, it's kind of like the the accumulation. And we'll talk about it more when we get to Scream, but we'll just give you a teaser now of 
the only way to proceed forward is to be sort of self-aware. So therefore, we can change the rules. I think also, Wes Craven start, arguably started doing this with Wes Craven's new nightmare. Exactly. That's like super meta. Exactly. That was his first attempt with people. But I think at that point, like, Freddy was just so overplayed. Like, But that movie was critically acclaimed. Oh, and, and it's I think a good movie. Okay. I actually, yeah. out of all the nightmare, the proper nightmare films is my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I've seen, I haven't seen The Dream Child, but yeah, I, I like out of all the proper nightmare films, that is my favorite one because it's so different from the rest of the nightmare films. Whereas like the hardcore Nightmare on Elm Street fans really, really dislike that film. There yeah. was a, but online. also Freddy's Dead mm-hmm. super maligned as well. Of course. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, to me, like that, it's the, <laughs> the pinnacle of the excess that was the Freddy Krueger lineage yeah. at that time. Um, so my final thoughts on Texas Chainsaw Massacre of the Next Generation <laughs> I don't really know what to say. Like, it's it's definitely an intense film. I think Matthew McConaughey just cranks everything to 11. Renee Zellweger is incredibly good in this film. Like, you can definitely see why these actors went on to do so well. I, it's kind of a shame that some of the other actors didn't do well. Like, I felt the actress who portrayed Darla, that was Tony Polanski. Um, I felt she could have gone on to do... Something like that. Yeah, I think she should have gone on to do like more stuff other than be known as the stripping teacher in Varsity Blues. Um, I think the actress that played Heather definitely should have gone on to something else because she played such a weird, conflicted, confusing character. Um, but you didn't hate her guts. You know, she even at one point says, like, I'm a bitch. That's what I am. That's how I get what I want. Because um, she plays like sort of like the mm-hmm. archetypal. I don't want to say airhead. But she realizes, that's her, her character yeah, realizes she she's playing an airhead. Yeah. So there was a bit of self-awareness to this film. Like she mm-hmm. even admits like, I act this, I act dumb and I pretend things are there because, mm-hmm. because people like me better that way. So it's like she realizes she's playing a role and she's mm-hmm. playing to it. Um, I thought the guy that played W.E. Sawyer is actually pretty, or Slaughter, sorry, it was pretty decent. He recited that those quotes yeah, pretty well. Yeah, I really enjoyed him, yeah. yeah. He's almost like a proto-John Hawks. <laughs> yeah, he kind of had that John Hawksian vibe yeah. to him. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, John Hawks got a start in the film Scary Movie. Not not the late 90s film Scary Movie, the early 90s film Scary Movie, which is coming out from uh, the American Genre Film Archive later oh, on this month. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's, it's an interesting look. It's definitely like this is how the 90s approached. Because I always feel with the last few Texas Chainsaw Massacre films, especially with that remake from 2003, I really want it to be a, like, how would you do Texas Chainsaw Massacre in 2003? And instead they're like, nope, it's going to be set in 1973. And you're like, but I know how that movie gets done in 1973. I've seen it. It's very good. I want to know how how you could do a Texas Chainsaw Massacre in the year 2003. And then when they did Texas Chainsaw 3D, which was set contemporary, but its math was horrendous because it came out 40 years after the original Texas Chainsaw, yet there it the whole plot hinges on a baby at the time of the original texas chainsaw massacre would be like 24 years old which makes no sense she's leatherface's cousin i don't get it um and then i haven't seen the new leatherface but you saw it was it set in the past like in the 70s or 60s it wasn't set now though right it was definitely in the past though I think it was in the past. Yeah, exactly. So like I when he was when he was younger. Yeah, exactly. So I would I definitely want to see like how you would do this story now. Like how could you in our age of the internet and social media and cell phones could there be a weirdo secret like clan of cannibalistic rednecks? 
and we don't get that. I really want to see that. And like, and I kind of feel like in the way that Kim Hankel tried to answer it was like, well, it's got to be the Illuminati, obviously. <laughs> um, but I don't know. So, anyways, on that note, we will be back next week with our episode on Freddy's Dead: The Final Nightmare. Freddy's Dead. Final. We should also add uh, it's also our second Alice Cooper movie. Yes, exactly. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Making a cameo in it. Yes. Have you never seen Freddy's Dead? No. He plays Freddy Krueger's father. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, so for Death by Video, I'm Lil. I'm Phil. And I'm Graham saying, please be sure to rewind. We'll see you next time. Keep watching awesome movies. Good night. Let's have a party, there's a full moon in the sky It's the hour of the wolf